welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Jason Word, Managing Director of Oilfield Marketplace. Jason, welcome to the show and welcome to the Canon. We met downstairs and you said this is the first time you've been here. It is. No, yeah. th- thank you for having me. This is a, it's a great space. It feels like a place to be innovative and, and connect with people. So no, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yes. No, it's great. Lots of coffee and lots of random pictures on the walls, people's computers with funky backgrounds. And it's interesting for anyone who's been here, you know, but if you walk around, there's offices with like trees in there and then it's like each little office space is like this this like very uniquely designed artsy kind of innovative like get the creative juices flowing type of atmosphere which it is and so i can appreciate it so big shout out to the canon if anyone's in houston and wants to come check it out let me know hit me up on linkedin we'll grab a coffee and i can show you around it's a great spot and then on top of that, Jason, you came in looking extremely dapper today. I can appreciate that. It's an honor that you put a suit on to come podcast with me. I'm wearing blue jeans and a collared shirt, so I'm not quite up to par. But again, I appreciate a gentleman who can dress up. I like that. Look, it's been a long time getting to go back out again. I just can't <laughs> yeah. tell you how, how excited I am. You spend most of your career in sales yeah, and you just feel isolated in this little box and restricted to Zoom calls. Just seeing events happen again and getting out and engaging with people again. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's just an excuse, right? Mm. So, yeah, no, I, I pull out the suit and dust it off. Every that's now it. And then. No, I really, I can honestly appreciate that. And so, yeah, talking about sales. So, have you you've been in sales for a lot of your career then? Or? I have. I mean, I've been in the oil and gas industry for, I'll be 25 years in, wow. in April. So, so wow. it's and you still out, have all your hair, which is crazy. I have most of it, but it's starting to leave relatively <laughs> quickly now. So, I, I don't guess. know. I'll have to start growing the facial hair as well. And right? Oh, yeah. Hair, so. No, you got to try the beard at least once. I feel like you could do it. You got some good scruff coming. But I, out of that, no, I, I spent, like most people, I, I spent a, a good deal of time in the field. And when I left, I, I pretty quickly came into sales marketing. So out of that 25, I spent about 15 between sales, commercial, and marketing. Nice. That's awesome. And we'll touch more on your career here in a bit. But I always like to kind of dig a little deeper to get to know somebody. So you're talking about or we talked about going events and kind of the energy and like, you know, things. What have you been doing lately that kind of getting out? Have you been to any networking events or anything that's been kind of exciting or anything you're looking forward to into the new year? Yeah, probably probably the latest good size event I went to was the PBIOS in okay. Midland. And, you know, I understand it was it was it was still a bit smaller than it had been in past years, but it was by far the biggest event I've seen since since COVID. And yeah, again, it was just it was really good just 
getting to see people, talk to people, you know, talk about their problems and, and, and yeah. their solutions. And yeah. you, know, you always managed to meet up with a few people out for dinner and drinks afterwards. So yeah, that was good. Next week, the Petroleum Congress. I'm sure a lot of people listening are, are going to be there. So I'm actually enjoying the fact that I don't have any kind of booth or presentation and I just get to walk around and Isn't that interact nice? and, and be part of it instead of having to do all the work behind the scenes. Hey, I get it. So that brings up a question. You've been in sales for a long time. I'm sure you've been to countless conferences, stood at countless booths. What is your thoughts right now on just that whole model of companies spending four, six, eight, twelve thousand dollars on a booth? Have you ever seen the ROI on that? And like, where do you see the future of that heading? Because I think that's an interesting topic that not a lot of people are really strategizing for. It's kind of like, well, we know we've done it for the last, you know, we've been at OTC for the last 15 years. We should probably do it again. And well, it's pricey. Oh, they gave us a discount. So, oh, let's just do it. Tying up resources and that instead of actually getting out there. And like you said, walking around and not having the stress of worrying about that. What is your thoughts on that? It's a perfect question. And I've always said this and I'll take this to my retirement. There's way, way better return on the small group engagements. I would yeah. rather meet up with somebody on a very focused, very specific topic that's geared towards them on, on the challenge they're facing and do that. I find that you get way more value than you do on these, these big events. The big events are, you know, it's good for brand awareness. It's good for people just to know you're there. Yeah. But if you're talking about ROI, it's the small in-person one-on-one type events are much, much better. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I started my sales career in 2013 in Denver, and I felt like there was still some value back then. I remember, you know, a lot of operators would be at these events. I remember going to Doug in San Antonio and I mean, hanging out with a ton of folks from operators afterwards. And then, but in time, I, th- I think a lot of the operators felt like it was just a, <laughs> you know, a grab for a bunch of salesmen to vulture and, and chew them up and, you know, try and do their best. And especially as the downturn came, there was, you know, more people than work. And so it was just any opportunity to possibly see a, a drilling engineer or, right. you know, production or completion engineer was like, well, we got to be there. And, and so then I think they kind of shied away. And, and, you know, after being in sales for a while, having, you know, built relationships with people on the purchase, you know, on the, you know, decision making side there's like these events are driving us nuts yeah no we're, we're gonna pass and so you know it, it really kind of was an eye-opener but i would agree the small intimate ones are important i think there's far much far better value there and better use of people's times but it's you know and then again it's kind of like for us it's like well so-and-so is going to be there and if we're not there then perhaps the public perception is well they're doing good and we're not and so there's that factor too and that, that i find that kind of challenging and so it's like well if our competitors are doing it, then we better do it You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, obviously, your time's better spent working, you know, building a relationship and really getting to know someone versus five minutes with a hundred people. Now that yeah. doesn't, I mean, those events still have value, right? And I mean, really you were talking before about what's, you know, what do you hope to gain out of something? You know, those events, what I hope is I hope to get two or three more personal engagements scheduled. Of course. Of right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm aligned with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But before we keep going, I do need to highlight some fascinating technology provider by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMCs continue to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. We're also doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. 
most of the time it's been here at the can and a big shout out to corva they've opened their arms and allowed us to do a lot of our events within their office here at the canon they arguably probably have one of the coolest office spaces here in houston so a big shout out to ryan dawson and the rest of the corva crew you can check out oggn.com for more details about the events yeah and check out corva's website too they got a lot of interesting stuff coming down the pipeline and please make sure to look for all the other oggn podcasts we have a ton of new podcasts continuing to come out whether it's with new technology, ESG, leadership, road to C-suite, there's just so many out there. And each one is very unique and the personalities behind each podcast is, is, is fantastic. So I encourage you to check it out. So Jason, I was looking on your LinkedIn. Of course, I had to see where you went to school. Auburn. Yes. Now, I don't know if you're a football fan, but please walk me through the emotions of the last game against Alabama. And if you don't watch it, then we can move on. Oh, no. I watched it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Look, you know, I wasn't as as upset as you had thought. We were were supposed to get smoked. Well, right. It was a good game. It was was a 20-point spread. Defense played great. You always kind of felt like it was that was potentially going to happen. Yeah. But no, look, I mean, I was proud of the team and, and what they did. And yeah. I actually wasn't too disappointed. I was much more disappointed in the, in the South Carolina game oh. than I was about <laughs> losing to Alabama. But, <laughs> I no, get it. It, but it was a great game. Yeah. No, a big shout out to the Auburn crew. They, they worked their butts <laughs> off. What does next year look like for Auburn? I feel like it's over the years, things have slowly been kind of <laughs> a little more difficult than than former years. I think it depends a lot on the on the transfer portal. Okay, no, I mean, I, I think it's going to be good. I think there'll be stability with the coaching crew, but you know, now with the new portal rules, everybody's able to move everywhere, right? Interesting. So, uh, can you just explain that? Because I'm not familiar with that. But or, I mean, you don't have to. Like, what does that mean? Like, people kids can transfer now, or it something? It means or? it's much easier for kids to change schools and not oh, have okay. to sit out when they arrive at their new school. So. You know, if you hmm. have a, a player who has bigger visions and he's not starting, he can easily transfer to a smaller school where he gets a starting spot. Ah, okay. So, you know, that kind of, to me, degrades, not say the quality, but it, it kind of makes it more of a, I don't know. Like, I think it's cool traditionally, you know, you go to school, you commit, you know, you yeah. build a team, hopefully, and, and then, you know, wherever the chips lie, they lie. But now it's like, I would imagine kids are going to, you know, behind the scenes, like, hey, let's all try and get to this school and build a powerhouse. I mean, do you think that's going to happen? Or I think most of the time it's 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 more about playing time, right? So Yeah, they want the exposure. I mean, yeah. obviously the whole, you know, powerhouse thing is good, but it's all about, you know, if a kid was four or five stars and he ends up third on the depth chart, he's going to try and go somewhere where he where can, he can play. Get, and I, I, good I, point. I understand that as, as well, but it definitely kind of flips things upside down a little bit on... Yeah. On where you're going to be, right? With players moving a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, to me, it just, it kind of changes the game. And, and I mean, again, change is inevitable, right? So it's like you just adapt and appreciate it. And hopefully yeah. Saturdays are just as enjoyable as they always have been. So no, that's interesting. So are you from around there? Like, how did you stumble into Auburn? So I was originally from Michigan, just outside of Detroit. Oh, okay. Moved, moved when I was very young. My dad got a job in Alabama, in northern Alabama. Interesting. So okay. he, he came down and he absolutely, you know, he worked his tail off from next to nothing to doing quite well. And no, I started going to a local school there and we had an agreement that if I could get a scholarship and pay part of my way, then he'd help out on the rest. And uh, I was able to go to engineering school in Auburn. So interesting. So backing up even further. So when did you move from Michigan to Alabama? Oh, when I was just a couple of years old. Okay. So most of your memories grown up yes, from, from Alabama. Grew up in Alabama. Yeah. I had never, in fact, I don't think the, the first time I ever saw an oil rig or, or a pumping jack wasn't until... Uh, until I was in college. Okay, interesting. Well, so definitely not not an original Texas native upbringing here. I, I get it. Well, I mean, even rewinding further, what was it like growing up in Alabama? Like, what did you do for fun? 
We lived near the, the Tennessee River, so most, most of our time was spent out dirty and yeah. swimming and you know boating and doing all, all those sorts of things. That was It was huge, and I feel just really, really lucky to, okay. to have had that experience. I mean, it was a very small town. You know, my graduating class had 90, 90 kids in it. Okay. You know, you, here there's so many opportunities here when people in high school, and they have all these, all these specialized curricula and all these great you know, programs. I went to a little school that I was, I was basically out of classes by the time I was a senior and you know, <laughs> yeah. there was nothing left to take because no it kidding. was that type of, type of school, right? So wow. it was then a big step getting to go off to school and then even a bigger step to go out and be exposed to everything in this industry. Right. No, absolutely. So a good chunk of your career was in sales, right? You said, and then, but obviously you've got the engineering background. So growing up, were you were you more like a STEM focused student or were you kind of like, because I find that folks that have worked in sales for a long period of time, their childhood is similarly you know, there's a lot of similarities where they may have been the class clown. They may have talked a lot. They may have been, you know, had a lot of friends. I mean, these are large assumptions, but like, were you sort of that salesy type your entire life or because it's interesting, right? Because yeah. engineering, but then you're in sales. Yeah, I was definitely a math brain. I was I was a scientific brain. But I, at the same time, I was a talker, right? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, have trouble paying attention in class, probably. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they didn't diagnose OCD and ADHD. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably a little of that as well. Yeah. I went into engineering in school because it made sense. It was where my, my competencies lie. Was there an absolute love for it? Probably not. And really, when I had a awakening moment. I'm in my senior sequence of chemical engineering and I realized I don't want to be a chemical engineer. <laughs> but you know, I had worked my tail off, right? I was yeah. I was working nearly full time while going full time chemical engineering. So, you know, wow, I, I good for you, really man. didn't have a minute to spare in the day. By yeah. the time you get into that that last sequence, you know, you've you've committed a lot. I'm gonna finish it at that point. For sure. And that's actually how I get pulled into this industry. I'm out interviewing for chemical engineering roles and you've got pulp and paper plants and you've got all these sorts of things coming along and promising after 10 years of being a process engineer, you might manage process engineers. And what do I have? I have a Schlumberger recruiter come along and say, well, we love chemical engineers because we know that you'll work your tail off, Mm. but you'll never have to do chemical engineering again. (laughs) Sign me up. Wow. That's a (laughs) a miracle. And I like this. Yeah. The dreams come true. So growing up, like, did you think you were going to be in engineering or what was your like dream job as a kid? Like, did you have anything that Oh, did, oh what, like when what, were, what did I want to be when I grew up? Yeah, uh, yeah. when you were a kid, were you uh, like, this is what I want to be. So I wanted to be a pilot. Actually, probably the only thing I ever really tried to do was get a, a place into the Air Force Academy to, to uh. be a pilot. And then two things happened. I grew and got very tall okay. overnight, and then my <laughs> eyesight went. Oh, right. Because they always, I remember, it's, it's funny because growing up, my mom and I, she worked for Canadian Airlines as a, a crew scheduler. And so back in the day, you know, we could fly wherever. And so she would, her and I would fly from Calgary to BC or Calgary, you know, and go on vacations and stuff. And back then they would still let kids go into the cockpit. And so at a very young age, you know, I was always, you know, from like, I think the age of like, two three until i was however old where they wouldn't let me in there i got to sit in the cockpit for a a lot of plane rides and that was my like goal was to be a pilot and then you know that interest sort of faded but i can identify with you there so do you think you'll ever get a plane and fly and do that kind of stuff Uh, i've I've almost done it several times in fact i had somebody willing to give me lessons when i was in france i could have really really done for free it's just uh, you know it was always a it was always a matter of time yeah 
I mean, I think everyone out there can identify the schedule that we put ourselves through in this in this industry sometimes can be quite brutal, yeah. and especially if you're, you know, really at a point in your career, you're driven to succeed. Yeah. And yeah, I just never could prioritize the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> I regret that a bit. But. Right. Well, there's multiple lifetimes ahead here. Yeah. Well, Jason, now I don't so think, you're now I don't think my wife would let me. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. You got to use those sales skills, man. You got to influence her into, you know, thinking it's a good idea for everybody. Right. Yeah. So yes. Okay. So you go to Auburn. Summer J comes says, hey, we want you. You're a stud. Let's get you. Let's get you on the blue team. And then you broke out in liberal Kansas. Is that right? I did. I okay. did. And in fact, they, they asked me where I wanted to go. <laughs> liberal and, Kansas. And, and, and I said, I would love to be in the mountains. And they said, well, here, have the flattest possible place you can, <laughs> you, you can think of. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Went to, yeah, I, was, I spent a couple of years in liberal Kansas. And, okay. and yeah, that was a pretty eye-opening experience, right? It's three hours to the next civilization in, in mm. any direction. Yeah. You know, funny, my, my main customers were Anadarko and Enron. Right? Okay, yeah. But it was a great learning experience. You know, when you're that age, you know, you can, you know, when you're 22, you can have have fun at a funeral, right? Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, so it was still a good time learning that business, and yeah, from there I got uh, I got the transfer to New Orleans. So that was okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I have a good friend actually from Liberal Kansas, and, and he's a drilling engineer currently. And yeah, he, he's told me a lot of, uh, about growing up there and it, and it seemed like it was real scrappy and, and pretty rough. Did, did you ever get any tussles around there? It was, right? It was a small, localized, true oil field town. Yeah. Right? And there's, at the end of the day, when people said, let's go for a drink, nobody said, where you just got in your car and went because there was one bar in, by, the, yeah. in, in the center of town. <laughs> and that's, you know, you could be certain you'd run into everyone there and, and you yeah. saw all of that every night as people had too much. <laughs> But no, you know, our, our manager at the time, a guy named Alfredo Santalamaza, he, he really went above and beyond to try and make the experience good, good. And, and took us out a lot and made it quite positive. So that's yeah. great. That's great. So I have to say, you know, I, I'm extremely impressed by the fact that you lasted 23 years, I think, or so with Summerjay and now, you know, in your current venture and not because I have any preconceived notions about Summerjay, but what sort of kept you there for that long? I mean, what were some key elements? Because, I mean, it's pretty unheard of. And so I'm curious, like, how was your experience for that long? I mean, you know, it's a term I use a lot that people often don't put enough value on and that that's relationship capital, right? And I, I okay. think all of us have had the opportunities to go somewhere else where the, the pasture looks greener and sure. potentially make more money and do all that sort of thing. But over time, when, when you stay with one place, you start to gain those relationships within the company, right? Yeah. And, and you have, you know, in every company, there's lots of influencers, there's mentors, there's people that help advance you along the way. The cyclical nature of our business, we've all been involved in it. Yeah. And I like to tell people when whenever someone thinks that they're absolutely immune to all of it, yeah. I say, look, anyone that's lasted for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, no matter how good you are, in all likelihood, someone who supports you has taken your name off of a list Yeah, <laughs> at some nice. point along the way. And so I always factored that in whenever you look at other opportunities is that, look, these, these relationships mean something, right? There's, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of value to that. So that's, Interesting. That's, that's really what kept me around where the, where the people in the relationship. Wow. So again, it, I feel like more and more conversations I have nowadays is, is a lot of times the answer somewhat revolves around people. And so it sounds like the culture within Slumberjay, the people, the relationships, 
you know, you said mentors really kept you there. And, and I, that's very admirable. I, I can appreciate that. Cause like I said, nowadays, you know, folks are looking for the, you know, just immediate returns, you know, they jump, you know, if there's an opportunity here, opportunity there for an extra 20 bucks a day, they may jump and, and it just, it, it appears. And even, you know, looking at, you know, just research papers, the loyalty within organizations is faded quite considerably over the years. And so it's, you know, how do we do that? And especially now in, in oil and gas, actually, I mean, there's a lot of people that I know that have left that are not coming back. A lot of kids going to school nowadays, I would say the majority are not looking to go work for a Schlumberger, mm-hmm. an AES drilling fluids. So naturally, we're having to pull talent that may not be top tier. Can you speak a little bit about that? I mean, you've been in this industry for long enough. Do you see that the talent pool getting I, I, tougher? I, I, I think this is the more interesting question. It's not not why do you stay with a Schlumberger? It's why do, you, why do you stay in the industry as a whole? Good point. I can speak to my personal experience because, you know, when I first joined the industry, I said this, you know, this will be my first and last job in the industry. When a cycle, when a cycle finally gets me, I'm, I'm going to be one of those ones that goes out. And I, and I never did. And the main thing for me is that you constantly be challenged. And, mm-hmm. and what I like about this industry is that you can get a lot of movement, both in jobs and job types and job roles, as well as geographies. And what that does is that need for new challenges that, you know, I, I go back to that, you know, your attention span that I mentioned before, this idea that every few years you can change roles and completely change disciplines within yeah. the industry. And you can change geographies and you can go from operations to sales to, to, to marketing to all these different. And, and our industry is very good about bringing up its own mm-hmm. and training people across the, these disciplines. Yeah. So in a sense, it gives you the opportunity to feel like you're making these changes in these personal advancements to your own competency yeah. while, while, while remaining within that same structure. So, I mean, really the, the most important thing to me is you can't let people feel stagnated. Yes. You need to continue developing them. You need to give them new challenges, let them branch out of their comfort zone. And this is, this is what is going to keep people interested. The second thing, as far as getting talent into our industry, and we're doing better at this now than we used to, we used to be really bad about forcing every peg into the same round hole. Right? <laughs> yeah. This is the path you're going to take through management to this. You know, you're going to you know, be in the field and then you're going to manage people in the field and you're going to do this. And there were all these steps. And what's exciting to see now is that we're bringing people in straight out of college that, you know, this person Instead of being a technical expert, we teach sales. This person is a, is a sales expert. So let's let them do what they want. We're, we're seeing people have skills like yours that in, in terms of marketing and communications and mm. that. And, and we're actually starting to use people's talents instead of forcing that square peg into that round hole. And that's, that's yes. the next real step when we really can start allowing people to be professionals in the different disciplines. Yeah, no, it's, there's a lot of study actually going into employee satisfaction in having flexibility and allowing folks to create value where they see fit. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to kind of exactly what you're talking about is it's, you know, here's sort of the, the task or the overall objective that we need to accomplish how you get there. I don't know get creative, figure something else out. Yeah. And, and and that's something that, that I can appreciate at the organization that I'm at is they've allowed me to create value in ways that, you know, I've just come up with, presented a case and they said, 
go for it and prove us otherwise. And, you know, you do it and it makes sense and it works. And, you know, you, you, you quantify some of the value that you've been able to bring. And, and next thing you know, you've got a different segment of the business or a different strategy that otherwise, if you, if I was told, okay, you have to do this, you have to report every week, we need you to see this, 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 then it would have, that, that creative sort of flexibility would have been suppressed. And so as someone like yourself as, as a senior in the industry, embracing that, I think is extremely important. And do you feel like a lot of the industry is, is sort of shifting towards that mentality or do you still see some hesitation? I mean, I mean on there, that? there's obviously hesitation, but the moves that have taken place in the last five years eclipse the 20 plus years before yeah. that. I mean, and, and nowhere like it is here in the U.S., you know, the just to use this as an example, the importance of social channels and yeah. LinkedIn and podcast and like this, it, it's amazing where it's gone just of late. You know, things you never would have seen a decade ago right are now so important on actually linking people and engaging them and, and getting your message across. So, no, it, it's it's definitely, it's happening fast, but... And we'll continue to see it happen as the next generation comes right. up. It'll even accelerate. But no, yeah. huge, huge strides being made. No, for I'm sure. Quite proud of our industry for yeah. the, the moves it's making. Likewise. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to share a couple of things for December. First is no industry mixer. We'll pick those back up in January. Second, from myself and from my entire OGGN team, we want to wish each and every one of you happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a wonderful New Year's. Everybody stay safe. We're really looking forward to hitting 2022 with all of you. So thank you for being listeners. Have a great holiday. Have a great end of the year. And another thing that that's shifted and that has changed over the course of the years and, and something that I've seen basically since the 2014-15 downturn is the emphasis on obviously cost cutting, but then going into digitalization. Mm-hmm. The way we purchase in the oil field now is different than it was in the past. You know, some industries or certain sectors may be similar, but what I think is very interesting and, and you know, why I'd like to talk to you about the you know, e-commerce within the oil field is, mm-hmm. is because you're currently in that space. So before we talk about oil field marketplace, can you talk a little bit about, you know, where the demand or where you saw the demand pick up to say, okay, there's an opportunity here because historically, and I want to say Baker Hughes, like I remember mm-hmm. back in the day I went online and someone, I think I was still in Calgary. Someone said, Hey, look at this. You can buy a bit online. Baker. Yeah. Or, was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. So that's my first, the first time I remember hearing it, but mm-hmm. from what I understand, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but from the position I was in, like, I didn't see it take off, but can you kind of talk a little bit about the transition to where it, what happened, where it's at now? And, and then perhaps where you see the future in, in e-commerce yeah, and no, all field? No, absolutely. Look, the overall goal when we start talking about digital commerce, e-commerce and industry, it's really what we ultimately need to do is we need to better connect the people who are out making wells, who are out producing hydrocarbon. Mm-hmm. We need to better connect them with the products and services they need to do their jobs. Right. right? It's about bringing digital commerce into the North American oil field. And the the interesting thing about our industry is that we're very savvy in terms of technology in general. I mean, if you look at some of the strides that have taken place at the well site, right? And in terms of efficiency, and you look at the US and you look at the 
the ability to make horizontal hole and drilling and what's happened in the last 10 years. And you look at, at frack efficiency. I mean, it is amazing. It's astounding. Every, yeah. every time outside forces have come in and tried to damage this particular industry, it's just come back leaner and meaner. Yeah. And, and it's really just, just backfired on, on those, <laughs> on those efforts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the industry is, is amazing in terms of technology, but we lag almost every other industry in the way we procure what we need. Yeah. You know, anyone who's been in sales for a while, we've seen how, how it works in, in our industries. You know, you send out five bids for every product you want. There's never, there's never a price next to the value statement, right? And when you do see a price, it's this big inflated price book. Right. And then when you, when you start negotiating, you know, you get a 65% discount because <laughs> to show how important of a, of, of a customer <laughs> person, person really is. Right. Yeah. So it, it's an incredibly long sales cycle. Oh man. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that, you know, COVID is just really, it's really exacerbated that it's, it's made it even more so because to follow that type of sales cycle, You've got, you know, uh, original equipment manufacturers, the people manufacturing products and providing services. They have to fan salespeople out all over the country. They have to be in every single buying center. And people simply don't have that structure cost to spend anymore. Right. Right. And at the same time, on the people who are wanting to go and buy these products and services, what you see is they're often now pulling double duty. You've got your service managers, your operations managers, all the way up to VPs, people trying to run operations, they're having to manage suppliers as well. So so doing all of this, it's become incredibly challenging for both sides. Yeah, no, it has. So what would you say the biggest challenge is, maybe a little bit more in depth, that may be limiting scale within the e-commerce side of things in the whole field? Yeah, there's a huge number of challenges. The biggest, which is just simply the culture change, mm-hmm. right? We're very relationship-based in terms of how we operate. The first question I always get is, are you going to replace salespeople? I'm not. That's not the goal whatsoever, right? right? The goal is to better utilize your salespeople. Because in reality, and, and I always hear this is far too, our products and, and our services are far too technical to be sold on using e-commerce. Mm. But the reality is we have a lot of good people out there, right? A lot of very, very experienced people out there who generally know what they want, especially for reoccurring purchases. What they need is they need a good price right. and they need availability. Right. Right. But it's still, it's a big, big culture change to make that shift. And this is where we're starting to see, we're starting to see people run into roadblocks in this space. Yeah. Now I'll I'll talk about OFMP in a minute because we're really starting to finally see that growth and overcome all of these roadblocks. And we're, we're quite excited about it, but we had to really have a reckoning on what those challenges to that culture change were really going to be. You brought yeah. up you, you brought up a great example, and that was a single OEM e-commerce site. <laughs> That's generally the first step that everybody makes when they want to enter this space. They say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've got a website. I'm going to put a, a buy now on this website. Yeah. And I used this phrase earlier, but I'll, I'll take this one to my retirement, <laughs> stating that single OEM e-commerce sites do not reach any new customers than you're already reaching. Yeah. Right. Just having the ability to buy it on a site you're already there is no more likely to happen 
then calling the sales engineer to make the purchase itself. So the first real step, if you want to bring value to the buyers, is to is is you need to have a marketplace. Yeah. In other words, uh, the going in to buy one product from one one vendor, there's not a lot of value there. You need to be able to bring them in. You need to. They need to be able to come in. They need to. Not only do they need to have transparent pricing and 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 all of these sorts of things, but they need to be able to have a large quantity of their buying portfolio that they can buy at once. Yeah. So you get an exponential value. Now they're no longer putting out those those five bids for every single product. You're kind of you're kind of you're gathering the value if they can buy multiple products here. Mm-hmm. And there has to be the variability. There have yeah. to be multiple suppliers there, mm. which is the first pushback that people have when they first start thinking about this idea. No, I just want my product there. You know, my customer is going to buy from the other guy if we have more. And the reality, if, if we think that our buyers or buyers are very smart people, that if, if you don't have the variability on the site, they're still going to go get the price yeah. somewhere else, right? Interesting. So I guess, again, just in the space that I'm in, I could see a challenge, hypothetically speaking. So I guess I have a couple of questions. So assuming, let's say a buyer wants to purchase a, I don't know, a packer or whatever. I took a look. You guys have a full suite of products of drilling completions, everything. I think one of the things that, again, drilling engineers who I deal with, they like knowing that someone has their eyes over something. And if something goes wrong, they can pick up the phone and say, why, what happened? Or why is this going on? I need you to come up with a solution. And it's, I find operators, and again, it's, you know, I'm treading lightly, but there's always that degree of liability that gets placed on service companies when something arrives and isn't quite in, in, exactly working order that they would expect or doesn't perform to the degree that was promised over the phone or over email. So how do you overcome those types of challenges? And and are there subject matter experts that work alongside that if you ship something out that if, you know, a completions engineer or somebody's unhappy with the product, they can pick up the phone and say, you screwed up. Now you owe us money. (laughs) Yeah. So no, no, it's a very good point. So when it comes to the fulfillment, and this is pretty, pretty consistent across all the marketplaces, when it comes to the fulfillment that is on the vendor that joins the site. So the warranty that's provided by the vendor passes through on the sale. Now we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in, in a minute. People don't necessarily have to have a contract. They can come on and they can buy and they can test out and they can use our standard terms and conditions. It's one of the easy ways, Yeah, one of the benefits. But yeah, that warranty is going to pass through. Now you raised a big point there or one of, one of, one of many points because this is where the space, I won't say stagnated. There's a lot of people now coming into this space, which is fantastic. And we had a bit of a head start on our side and, and we ran into a lot of these roadblocks that we're now overcoming and we're, we're, we're seeing others now start to come up against, against the same thing. And we had to have a very realistic view of what is different between the oil and gas industry and the retailer commercial that we're used to. Yeah. Ever since I started on this, the, the, the term gets thrown around a lot, the Amazon of of the oil field, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I always hear that. That's what everybody relates to. 
But there's, there's a big difference between what we use in the oil field and how we use it and the culture that's already instilled that's very different than buying a shirt or a piece <laughs> of furniture or, or something like that. Right, so, consumables, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the first of those comes with the uncertainty, which I, I think is what you had kind of touched on. Now, I'm really getting into, into details of what's key, but these are the conversations we have to be having. Because right. to date, the conversations on this have all been about the high level and what's good about it. And what we haven't gone into detail about on these conversations is, is what are the roadblocks, right? What mm-hmm. are the real challenges? And if, if we can't be realistic about those, then we don't ov- overcome them, right? Because there is value to be had. There's tremendous value to be had in, in our industry yeah. with having this. So the first of those is, is uncertainty. Right. And that is, you know, we, we talk a lot about transparent pricing, but this is not the culture in our industry. No. And it's a big lift. It's a big ask for someone to see a price and actually think that, yes, this is the market price. This is the real price for me. And I'm not going to get a different price by talking to a salesperson. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Also uncertainty on the technology and what's, what's being chosen. You now, you no longer have a salesperson who is expressing the value proposition, who's talking through what's good about the product and and how it works. You need to get all of that across on the site itself. And as I mentioned, yes, we have knowledgeable people who who know what they want, but even when people are pretty confident what they want, there is still that culture of of having someone say, yes, this is correct. You're not going to make a mistake. And and we often find that that's, Mm. that's a challenge in just getting that last step to buy through. So to kind of touch on your question on that one, we do we are a 24/7 site. We have a customer service representative, uh, one one of the members of the the team uh, along with along with the sales team. Okay. And people are able to put in their questions there. We have a phone number that comes to a real live person who's going to answer uh, <laughs> Not the, a, the, a robot. The, the phone. Yeah. Absolutely. And if it's something that we can't answer ourselves, then we get the answer directly from the vendor. Of course. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so is Oilfield Marketplace specific to, like, do you guys sell an array of products from different vendors or is it specific to one or so, what kind of options are there? Yeah, so Oilfield Marketplace, you know, we, we started in 2018, the later part of 2018. Okay. Really took a couple years to have what I consider to be a, a viable product that works works for the industry. It's it's much, much more challenging than people think it is. Right? Oh, I, the, the, yeah. the general idea is that you have a website and, and, and you put the transactional ability on there and it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging than that. So it is an open marketplace. It's open for any vendor to come in and sell their products and it's open for anyone to come and buy. And as I mentioned, they don't necessarily have to have a contract. They can buy with our, our terms and conditions. But they can also have a direct contract with the vendor that will pass through the, the conditions of that contract as well. Interesting. So so hypothetically speaking, you could have two different bit vendors on that site and people can have the option. In fact, we want, we want to. Yeah. That, that's yeah, absolutely no, I, the goal because that's the value to the buyer, right? Yeah. Because again, we went and we, we talked to a lot of people. Now, OFMP is built by and run by oil field professionals, right? We're not a bunch of people from outside the industry. Right. We bring in that expertise because we want the agility and, and, and oh, all yeah. of that. But we are people that are inherently from this industry. Mm-hmm. So we, we've talked and we've talked to a lot of buyers and sellers out there. 
And it's, it's very important that they're able to, to get the full value out of such an experience in such an environment. They need to be able to replace the competitive bidding yeah. that they do right there on the site. Now, yeah. Again, it's, it's not required. They can go in and if they get a good price on a product, but like I said, they're still going to check the market. So as much of that you can bring into this, the more value you're giving to your buyers. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. So what would you say the vision is for Oilfield Marketplace? So the vision is, it's really for it to be more than just another sales channel, right? The, the vision is, is to really fundamentally change the way that our vendors are, are able to sell their products. And, and, and it goes back to some of those challenges as well. And it's something I'm pretty excited about that we're, that we're doing right now. One of the big challenges in our industry is how people pay for things. Yeah. Right. So our industry, and this, this blows people away from outside the oil and gas industry. <laughs> yeah. We operate on a culture of vendor supplied free credit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is actually quite odd when you think about it. And it's not 30 days like on a, on, on a credit card. It's a 45, 60, often, 120. often, often more. Yeah. <laughs> people, are, people are willing, a bit more willing to be open on that. Right. Yeah. So when most, most people have entered this space, you know, it's, it's really been, you know, credit card or ACH. That's a monumental management of change you're asking the industry to make. It is, yeah. To start paying in advance. And aside from that, there are some serious financial benefits to having that instead of having that leg of 30, 40, 60, 120. I mean, just like the cash conversion cycle, of course, that is a huge problem in our industry. And there's a lot of money that gets blown away on interest rates of product that hasn't mm-hmm. been paid for that's already been used. Yes. So I can appreciate that more from an accounting perspective. I do appreciate that. I think that's something that is important. To it address. is, but it, it, it's something that is going to, if that change happens, it's going to take a very very long time. Right. So one of the first things that we did is we incorporated our ability to take purchase orders and to align with the way the industry works. Right. And we've seen a lot of, a lot of the other people participate in this way. You know, they, they run into the same challenge. Well, well then how do you do that? Right. And ultimately what you see is you end up seeing the sites turn into RFQ sites. Yeah. And then you're no longer e-commerce and now it's just turning back into the traditional sales channel again. So when you ask what our vision is, I think there's one fundamental aspect that has to be covered. So right now where we started and where others have started is we want to connect buyers and sellers. And this is what we say. The question though, that raising now and that we're addressing is what happens after you make that connection? Mm-hmm. And the promise of e-commerce that struggles a bit with the way we do business and the way we pay for things and the way our pricing is and, and, and all of that is that it should be easier and cheaper for the seller to sell through e-commerce than through a traditional sales channel, shouldn't it? You think, yeah. Isn't the idea that if you if you sell something online, you should be able to do that cheaper than the traditional way? Mm-hmm. And the reality that hasn't been the reality on on most of these efforts in the past, mm-hmm. and it's it's where I see a lot of them failing. So, where what we have to do is we can't just be that first that first connection. Yeah, we we need to 
not just provide, and we obviously we have to provide all this value to the buyers because that's ultimately what's the most important. We have to improve mm-hmm. their procurement. We have to save them money, but we have to make it for the cheaper for the sellers to sell this way as yeah. well. I want when that connection is made and someone becomes a repeat buyer and that person contacts the seller and says, I need another 10 of those. I want the seller to say, perfect, go enter them. And OFMP, yeah. because it's easier and cheaper for them to operate. And that's that's one of the things we're rolling out right now is we're rolling out this full order automation where we're giving the seller a centralized place to manage their business, where we're handling the financial integration, we're handling oh, wow. the invoicing and, and the collections, even on those credit purchase order types of bids. So this is where you no longer are just a sales channel. This is where you become an operating. Yeah. Wow. No, that's, again, there's there's so much potential. And I think you've reiterated it a number of times. It's just the, the kind of the, the mindset shift and the culture shift and just, you know, providing trust to those who are otherwise hesitant of going this direction. But I think ultimately it's the future. And so it's another one of those, you know, it's going to be tough, but being that you guys have the experience and, and you've got the people in place to articulate the value. And like you said, it's a business for oil field built by oil field, which I can appreciate. <laughs> you Absolutely. know what I mean? And so for you personally, like what do you like most about your job there within the oil field marketplace? And what, when you wake up in the morning, what are you just extremely pumped about? I like the ability to be able to work towards fixing something. Yeah. Right. You know, you, you spend, and I think a lot of people can relate to this. There's an awful lot of roles in the, in, in, in any industry. I'm, I'm not picking on oil and gas, yeah. but where you wake up and 75% of your day is fixed, right? You know, you've got morning meeting and then you've got a forecast meeting. And then, you know, you, you've got all of these set things that take up your day and they're all, they're all value add, but they're very regimented, very administrative. I kind of, I have a flip on this, right? In that we have a lot of flexibility to find a problem and, and go fix it. And when I wake up, instead of having 75% of my day fixed, I've got 25% of my day fixed. And I yeah. have the other 75% to talk to people, to think about how to make how to make their lives better and to really try and work on that, right? Yeah. The other thing that I like is that freedom. We have a great team. Like I mentioned, we are oil field professionals. I've got... Sabby's our operations guy. You know, okay. he's got 26 years in the industry, and he, he's absolutely a software and business system specialist. Okay, a chief technology officer has even more than that, and they, they manage our own independent IT resources that we use for the site itself. Okay, we have our own marketing team, and uh, you know, like I said, own customer service. And probably the more interesting thing that sets us a little bit apart. And I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself a bit <laughs> is that we have a sales team yeah. associated with that. And you usually don't think about that with e-commerce. You think about marketing and you think about IT. And this was something else to help with that management of change. Yeah. Right. And a recognition that there is a transitional period as people get comfortable with this sort of thing. It means an awful lot. Now, these guys aren't going out and they're not selling an individual plug and they're not or selling a, a right. bit. Right. They're out selling the solution. Yep. And they're supporting the buyers on going through those initial steps. And because they are oil field professionals themselves, they're answering some of those technical questions that come up as people get comfortable. Yeah. No, I mean, the days of build it and they'll come are long gone. And there's still a lot of people who think that if they build a good product, that all of a sudden 
sales are going to happen. And that's just absolutely not happening. I've seen it just with some you know other companies in the space that are doing a great job and have a great product, but just, and they don't have a sales team because I felt like, oh, I'll just build it. And, and once I tell someone, then everyone's going to want it. But unless you're, you know, building the brand, creating content, you're becoming irrelevant. And even if you have the best software or the best technology mm-hmm. or the best tool, unless people know about it, it's not going to generate any revenue. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. I can appreciate you saying, hey, yeah, like we have what we have, but we have salespeople. And, and you know, arguably they're, they're solution providers. You know, sales always has such a you know, negative connotation. But I think sales now in oilfield is different. I remember even back, you know, I remember in 2010 when the Marcella Shale was kicking off. I mean, people were throwing rigs at the board left, right and center. And I remember my I'll never forget my boss was at a gas station and he was the type of gentleman who he would talk to everyone and anybody. I mean, he just always was looking to create a relationship, even if it was just for like 30 seconds. And I was sitting in the passenger seat. He goes, talks to someone. He looked oil field where, you know, I think going to a rig. Anyway, he comes back. He's like, well, I sold another job. And I was like, Steve, what do you, what do you mean you sold another job? He's like, yeah, I told him about X, Y, Z. And here's who we were working for and how they were able to drill these wells 10 days faster. And heck, he wants us to send a system out next week. And I was like, oh my God, like you don't hear of that. Now that's a very one-off, like almost like, yeah, right type of scenario. But I was there and I witnessed it and I experienced it with my own eyes. That I just don't think happens anymore. So it's important for us to adapt and understand how people buy things. It's not at the gas station or at the bar. Perhaps it is. But again, the sales cycle, like we talked about, there's just different mechanisms. And and people's attention are in different places now than they were. It's, it's all on LinkedIn. It's online. It's Zoom. It's not going to happy hours you know, Wednesday through Sunday night. I mean, and if it is, I'm not, you know, I haven't been there in a while, but <laughs> this is the reality. And so I can appreciate the e-commerce stuff coming around. I really hope that it takes off and, and you guys can sort of be a benchmark for others to either, you know, realize the benefit or, you know, again, it's a huge market and the world is abundant. So it's, it, it, it is. And that's one thing to touch on is, well, so oilfield marketplace, we made the decision and I've absolutely resisted calls we made the decision to keep this specific to North America. Right? Yeah. That's very, very important. I mean, there's a number of reasons. One, we don't we don't want to deal with the regulatory side and the export and the dual use and, and oh, all I that can kind imagine, of stuff yeah. as well. But we take a great deal of pride in being U.S. and soon to be Western Canada specific, that we have the, the knowledge base of the vendor side and, and of the buyer side and where you work. And we take a great deal of pride in this being a, essentially a, a USA product and built and made for the US. It's such an interesting market because it's one of the only places that has, you know, no matter, I always say, no matter the, the beautiful thing about North America land, North America offshore, or I mean, onshore, mm-hmm. is there's opportunity for everybody no matter which way you, you turn the car. Exactly right. right? Yeah. But which way you turn the car depends on how successful you're going to be in, yes, in yes. capturing all of that, right? And, and we have just, you know, we have good companies here, but we have hundreds of active operators at any point in time. And there's, you know, they're serviced by dozens of service companies in every product line who are then further serviced by buying products from original equipment manufacturers, you know, right. just, just, just again, hundreds and hundreds of, of those guys as yeah. well. So, I mean, when you, when you talk about 
you know, getting out and, and, and how you make these connections. I find every time that's why I'm excited about being back out after COVID. Yeah. Every time you get out, you run into opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are people out there and it's clear that there's a need and there's clear that people are still having trouble making those connections. Now, you know, some companies are at the level that they're privy enough that every single supplier is coming and knocking on their door. But the yeah. reality for the vast majority of the industry here is that's that's not the case, right? So 100%. it really comes down to the opportunity is there and it comes down to making it work for the buyers and also just as importantly, making it work for the people trying to make the sale as well. Excellent. That's right. And I really appreciate it. This has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like we could keep going and going, but I know you've got things to do. We're both, you know, hectic, busy individuals. But before we close out, I do have a personal question I always like to ask. Do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to, to your success or that keep you charged up every day and focused? Boy, uh, and the people close to me are, are, are sick of hearing this, so they're going to they're gonna turn off at this point. <laughs> no, I, look, I can't not say that the biggest change I've had in my life. I made the decision when COVID happened and the lockdowns happened. I said, I'm going to make something positive out of this. Good for you. And I started by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the time I used to spend commuting, and I'm going to give it to myself, and I'm going to, nice. I'm going to fix everything else. And yeah, in the last, the last 13 months, I've lost nearly 70 pounds. Wow. Jason, good for you. And, um, Holy smokes, man. I really feel better now. And, and it became no longer a diet and a work. It became a lifestyle change. Yes. I'm actually, I'm a little coming out of my skin because I didn't run this morning. I run every single day and I had too many early meetings this morning. So ah, okay. I, I didn't run. I get it. But what really, I get up and I make my run. I run five or six miles each morning, uh, wow. about five o'clock in the morning. Good for you. And that just charges me now, right? Uh, it really gets me going. So now I'm, I'm going to keep that going because yeah. what's fun and yeah, we don't have video on this one. It's <laughs> it's fun seeing people that haven't seen me in a long time. Yeah. So, and so, and I didn't want to bring it up because I know if it was a sensitive subject because, you know, some people in their weight, but your picture on LinkedIn, when I saw you, cause I got, I was here in the, the little conference room. I got the notification and had to take a call and I noticed you standing outside. And I'm like, man, that kind of looks like the gentleman from LinkedIn, but his face is a lot leaner and like, he just doesn't have the same type of stature. And I'm like, ah, I mean, maybe he lost a lot of weight and I wasn't going to bring it up because, you know, sometimes you just never know, but I'm glad you brought it up. Congratulations. I'm a huge proponent of health and fitness. And so when hearing that, I think it's amazing. There's just so many fantastic trade-offs for, for losing weight and working in along with working out. And it's just, to me, I'm all about increasing our, you know, human performance and whether mm -hmm. that's sleep hacking, somehow figuring out how to get better deep sleep or figuring out how to reduce your blood pressure or figuring out how you can have a sustainable amount of energy throughout the day instead of saying, oh, well, from, you know, after one o'clock, I'm useless. You know, you better get a hold of me at 9 a.m. Like that is absolute, 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 absolute BS. Like I it just I think it's I think it's an excuse for a lack of accountability. And I can appreciate you making that change and committing yourself to getting healthier. Again, I'm super passionate about that stuff. We, we deal with so much stress in our industry. I mean, there's yeah. more high blood pressure in our industry <laughs> than right. just about anywhere. Right? I know. And that was one of the big drivers for me because I was going way down that hole and the doctors were about to put me on medication and all that sort of stuff. So I decided yeah. to handle it this way. And no, I'm glad I did. Yeah. No, I mean, you talk to any folks that have lived long enough to say, you know, what's the one thing you regret? And they never say, oh, I wish I would have worked harder. It was like, oh, I wish I would have taken care of myself. I wish I would have spent a little more time with the family. 
And then it sounds like, you know, perhaps that was a realization of, hey, if, if I want to be around for the next 30 or 40 years, I better, you know, get my health in check because, I mean, yeah, it's just you, you never know. But again, congratulations. I think that's amazing. Do you have any closing last words or, or anything you'd like to mention before we log off here? No, I don't. Look, just I know we've ran a bit long. Really appreciate oh, okay. uh, you, you bringing me in. Like yeah. I said, it's something I'm passionate about. I don't want to give any sales pitch. All I'd say is I'd love for people to reach out to us. Yeah. This year, we saw a substantial amount of success. We saw about 14, 15 times growth year on year versus where we were before. Amazing. So the, the, you know, I talked, I spent the whole hour and I hope I didn't already lose everybody talking about all the challenges associated <laughs> with it. But the reality is the challenges are quite AR surmountable. We, yeah. we can get over them. And then it's going to be, I think the next two years, we're going to see a real change. Right on. I'm excited for it. And so if people want to just simply learn more about whether you guys are doing it at the Marketplace or just simply e-commerce, if someone wants to have a conversation with someone in that space, do you have any links or obviously people I'd love for you guys listening to connect with Jason, but who would be a good person to reach out to if someone has questions or, or says, hey, look, I think this is actually a good fit for me and my company. We'd like to get on board. How would people go about doing so, that? So the easiest way, go to the site itself. It's just theofmp.com. Perfect. There's a customer service link there. You can enter any question. There's a place if, you, if you're interested in being a seller or a vendor on the site, you can put that in as well and... And Sylvia, our, our representative, monitors that full time. Cool. Otherwise, I'm I'm incredibly accessible. Yeah. And anyone that wants to hit me up on, on LinkedIn, Jason Word, feel free. Perfect. I love to talk to people. I also have two salespeople, like I mentioned, Maywish Rajput. A lot of people know her. She's been very visible out and about. Good. And I'm super excited. We just added a new person. Okay. The team continues to grow. A gentleman Great. named Jason Bowlerjack, who's been okay. sales in, in North America for a long time. So awesome. a lot of people know Jason. So he's part of the team. Great. Well, big shout out to Jason. Welcome aboard, you know, the rocket ship, hopefully. Yep. Well, that's great. What I'll do is I'll put the links in the show notes. That way people can scroll okay. and click and, and add and, and connect. But yeah, again, for all the listeners out there, really appreciate the support. If you have any questions, hit me up. If you have any ideas for a show, any people that you'd love to hear me speak or interview with, please let me know. And again, can you please, if you would, leave a review, hit the five-star button or one. I know there's always room for improvement, but any feedback is always appreciated. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.